when you're performing and when you're singing to an audience, they may not be, your audience may not be musically sophisticated. In other words, they can't tell you what key it's in or what the notes are. They don't know anything about the mechanics of playing an instrument, but they know when they feel something. And that's the soul. That's the soul responding to these vibrations and responding to the um, the honesty of what's being communicated. And that's, that's super powerful. Hello and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits Again? That's right. That's this podcast where we try not to talk about rabbits. Yeah. Rabbits in this case aren't just rabbits, but they're things that go running around on the internet and reproducing so fast that you can't tell if they're actually real and you start to wonder, what the heck? Where am I? That's this podcast where we talk about heavy things lightly, right? We do this because, well, at First Things Foundations, what we try to do is offer some assistance, heavy stuff, lightly. Check us out at www.first-things.org. And also, keep keep coming on the podcast because we get people like we have on today, LaTanya Hall. You'll hear her bio in a minute, but let's just say she's pretty much made music with everybody you've ever listened to. So LaTanya Hall today on episode 58, just how old world is the jazz world? LaTanya Hall on Watar. Welcome to Watar, and I'm here today with LaTanya Hall. LaTanya, you're going to do something we haven't done, which is we're going to move it all the way into music and talk about the old world and the new world in music and try to wind in some of our work, but most of all, like, download your expertise um, and your all your background in music. So I want to tell people out there, what you're doing. So can I read a little bit of your bio to introduce folks to you? And then you can you can add or subtract as you wish. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is Latanya Hall, guys. Uh, really a beautiful, wonderful musician. She's also a teacher in, in lots of places. So she uh, has worked with folks um, like Steely Dan, Diana Ross, Bobby McFerrin, Michael McDonald, Quincy Jones. I read Quincy Jones and I said, yeah, we're blessed to have you on, among other people, Patty LaBelle, Aretha Franklin. So, Latanya is a vocalist, right, Latanya? But as a musician, you probably do all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mainly live my life as a as a singer and musician. Right. So, um, I mean, I play I play piano as well, but that's not, you know, I basically consider myself a singer. That's yeah, the main. Thing. You've done. Um, Solo as a solo artist, you've worked with the American Composer uh, Composers Orchestra, Denver Symphony, St. Louis Symphony. You have an album out in 2020, uh, which was named one of the top vocal albums of the year. But then you're a teacher. You're uh, you've worked at the Stimmen uh, Festival in Basel, Switzerland. That's a famous place. You've uh, worked on the Great American Songbook, which is amazing. And you created the first vocal jazz degree at Oberlin Conservatory in Ohio, which is how I got to know you because my daughter attended there. One of my first classes of students. It's true, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I could keep going, guys, out there, but she's appeared on Broadway, 
He was in the Sopranos, Cotton Club par- uh, Parade with uh, Wynton Marsalis. So we have an expert in, in jazz um, and a musician and an artist. And thank you for coming on. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. I wouldn't call myself an expert, <laughs> but I certainly um, have, you know, um, lived this music for a very long time and done a lot of research about this music. So I'm happy to share what I do now. Well, one of the things that happens when we bring people on is we try to, the construct is the new world and the old world. And so the reason we do that, and you and I have spoken, is because we run a nonprofit that places people usually in old world situations. And so for people listening uh, who may be new, and what happens is, Latanya, when folks like yourself come on, we get new listeners, which is great. Thank you. Uh, what the old world is, is sort of pre-Enlightenment Europe, um, pre-1700s, pre-sort of the, the rational revolution that led to kind of a pretty neat space called America, but it, <laughs> there's some drawbacks. And so the old world is where I just returned from, for example, Mozambique, where people are living very simple ways, but in beautiful ways. And then the new world is people living in beautiful ways, but also in less simple ways. And so what I want to do today with you is just talk about jazz and music, because I think jazz is doing a bridge of some sort. And I want you to disabuse me of that if I'm wrong. But what do you, what do you think jazz is when you sit there and teach it and practice it? And what is it to you? To me, jazz embodies um, everything about music. So uh, you have to go back. You're talking a lot about the old world and the new world. But when you go back to the roots of jazz, its roots are in Africa, Hmm. right? And the music from Africa is um, millennia old. And it's certainly, um, I always talk about the voice being uh, in, let's talk about jazz voice or or just voice. The voice was the original, the the original instrument, right? Right. So it's been a, it's been a means of fellowship. It's been a means of communication um, since time began. And so when I listen to jazz, I hear, I hear all the elements of that. And I hear all the elements of, um, the rhythmic components, which were used to mimic language, which are still such a vital part of um, African music and African uh, understanding. So um, for me, I, I hear the ancients and I hear the ancient voices when I listen to jazz music. Do you, do you think people who you perform with and work with and teach with, do they hear it that way? Because the people now, now realize I'm not, you know, I'm a listener. I don't produce music or make music. Somehow jazz is in the mind of Americans, I think, is new or something like fancy schmancy new. Do, do people, am I, am I into something there or not really? Well, I mean, technically the, the, the creation of the jazz era was in the early 20th century, mm-hmm. right? So it started with rag and uh, ragtime and blues and like 1910 to 1920. And then in the 1920s, you started to really have the onset of what we now call jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I mean, I guess if you want to compare it with the beginning of time, of course, it's something that's new. Mm-hmm. But as I said, I, I think it, it its roots are, are, are ancient. Uh, and you can hear it. it. You can hear it in the music. You could, you could actually take um, 
some tribal music that's been passed on for centuries and centuries and centuries to people. And you can find elements of that, especially when you look at the rhythmic component of jazz, you can hear that in the music that's being played today. So, okay. Can you explain, expand on that a little, the rhythmic component? Well, I mean, then we're, so we, then we get into this, the discussion of music in general. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when you look at jazz, jazz is rooted in rhythm. And when you look at like European Western classical music, that's rooted in harmony. Um, and so the rhythm is what drives the jazz. And there are har definitely harmonic components to it, right? And, and sometimes very complex harmonic components, but it's very rooted in the rhythm of the music, right. which comes from the rhythm of language. Right. You know, so right. uh, um, that's that's why what I, what I talk about, that's the biggest difference to me between jazz and, and Western European classical music or Western European music. So uh, in Mali, which you were, uh, I did a lot of my work that led to this first things um, journey that we're on, the nonprofit. Mali introduced me to the griot and the griot. I mean, you probably know all this, and you can, I want you to expand on this, because the griot would come to our village about every six months, and he would bring his band. Now, these guys were really intense, and they did three days of storytelling. And you're right. Most of it was, that's right. He was speaking, it was through the narrative, and the narrative was rhythmic. It was a type of rap, right? It was a type of conversation. So is it because of that, storytelling heritage is that is that's what you're tying to the ancient world is that griot heritage does that get come into play well it's it's the storytelling aspects of it but it's also the musical aspects of it and it's the, how the music and how the storytelling is told mm -hmm. so these stories that the griot is telling are stories that have been passed on through centuries of centuries of time right um from griot to griot to that's right, community that's right. to community and when we talk about um the ways in which people learn music, um, 90% of the world is learning through the oral tradition. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's so the, right. the whole, the whole construct of musical theory and especially musical theory that's rooted in, in Western European, um, harmonic construct, it's very different from how people learn mm -hmm. around the world. Very, mm -hmm. very different. Mm -hmm. And um, it's sometimes it's held up as the gold, gold standard. And, and I'm a huge lover of, of classical music and a huge lover of classical harmony. But we also have to give credence to the different ways that people learn music and the different ways sure. that people understand music. And the way that it's been taught when we talk about these, um, the oral tradition of passing things on, um, really allows for an expansiveness to the music and an expansiveness to how music is created. It allows for improvisation. It allows for um, spontaneous creation. And that to me is the beauty of the music. So uh, I was, like I said, I was in Mozambique and we went through, it was a museum and it was really a museum to the town called the the East de Mozambique. It's the Isle of Mozambique where the the Portuguese first arrived. And so it was a Portuguese uh, institution that had been created. And then the Mozambicans had taken it and turned it into a museum. And there was all this European history. So I got to 
I don't know, 20 minutes into the tour. Really, really nice guy doing a really good job. And then I asked him about the Makua people. And so the Makua people are the people that were met by these boats. And they're the African people that were met by the Portuguese and the Dutch, the ones that had the land. And I said, let's talk about their history. And it's interesting what you just said. He said, we can and I will. But then he himself, a Mozambican, said, but I want you to know these aren't backed up with any historical facts. And it was really interesting because he's talking to a European guy or at least a, an American of European descent, right? And I already knew the answer, the one that you just gave, is that there's truth in the narrative regardless of it's sort of been westernized through, through the written word. You know, everything was written, suddenly we trust it. And I wanted him to go deeper, but he had been trained in his own, in his own way to not trust the, his own narrative. It was really interesting. And um, we later on would discuss, and I, I really wanted more information about the Makua people, but because it hadn't been written down, somehow it, it wasn't held in high esteem. But jazz is doing something like holding on to the tradition, despite the fact that, as my daughter always tells me, Papa, not everything's written down that I'm playing. And I always want to like try to figure, like point me what you're doing. And she's, I can't always point you to what I'm doing because a lot of it is not written. Am I, does that, does that describe jazz as maintaining a narrative that may not be westernized in that way? Does that make sense to you? Well, the, the frame, I think some of the framework, um, a lot of the framework is Western, right? Is rooted, rooted in that Western theory. But what's the beauty of jazz is that, um, that framework allows for all kinds of creation within it. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, my husband is a, an incredible improviser. Uh, he's a, he's a jazz pianist. Uh, uh, he's won a couple of Juno awards, which is like a Canadian Grammy here lately. I'm bragging on him a little bit. Good. Do it, do it. Love it. But the reason the, the, you know, what I love about him is he will never play the, anything the same way twice. And it's, it, it's not that he's trying to be, you know, uh, special or you know to, mm -hmm. to to show off what he's doing but that's the that's the nature of the music and that's how he was rooted in the music and that's how he learned to play with he studied at the feet of oscar peterson right mm -hmm. and he learned um to really be free in the process of creating the music right. and to let the music flow through him and that's that's one of the things that i love about jazz and that's one of the things that I think makes for a successful jazz musician and also a jazz musician that makes me feel something is when they actually allow the music to channel through them. Would you call that a type of individualism? Sure. Do you think, is that a predicate of jazz? Must there be sort of a concept of the individual as free? Because in the old world, often you didn't have the, you know, the, the modern day idea of the individual is really different than the, the old world. Do you think that individualism in that sense is, is necessary for jazz? Again, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think, I think there's in, individualism within improvisation, but the roots of jazz are in collaboration. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, we have to, um, 
it, it's, it's, it's collaboration and it's really deep responsive listening, which is something, um, I talk a lot, a lot about with my students, right? Is that you must all, when you're making music and especially when you're making jazz music, you must always be in the moment and you must always be open and listening and, uh, and ready to respond to what is happening around you. Um, so while you may have an individual take, within the the confines of where you are improvising it's also an extreme form of collaboration right right an extreme form of listening yeah i love that i think one of the things we've lost in the modern world is the notion that almost well no not almost maybe everything is done in a dynamic relationship with the, the in some ways, the idea of the individual is a lie, right? I mean, I'm not, we won't attack the concept because it creates a lot of freedom. But I'm not really free to do anything vis-a-vis -vis my society unless I'm paying attention to the people that I'm, I, I, whatever I choose to do as an individual will impact something else, someone else. And so jazz, while, it, yeah, I like it. It's sort of the, it's the paradox which is it's both individual, but it's impossible that it, it takes place at an individual level. There has to be dynamic relationship. Does that make it really important who you play with? I guess it matters, right? I mean, yeah, there's, it's, it's like any relationship. There's, um, you, you can have different kinds of chemistry with different musicians. And, um, you know, that's something that I certainly take into consideration when I'm doing a record or if I'm putting together a band, especially if it's a band that I'm going to be working with doing any kind of touring, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the chemistry is, is everything. <laughs> so in some ways, you know, there could be somebody who's more of a, a virtuoso, you know, as a pianist or, or a virtuoso as a horn player or a guitar player or a drummer. But if the chemistry isn't happening, then we're not going to make great music together. Would that be the same for a, a big giant orchestra of 60 people? It feels different, but maybe. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if I can necessarily speak to that because I've never, I mean, I've, I've sung with orchestras, but I've never played in an orchestra. Right, right. I just know that, um, you know, I did study opera for a while and, and I was really, I used to fight with my teacher in, in my first year of college a lot because I had come from the world of jazz. My father was a jazz pianist and my mother was a singer. So I was used to sort of making things my own a little bit, you know, while I was doing it. And I would be singing an aria and I would add a trill here or I would sort of <laughs> reinterpret a line. And, you know, my teacher was like, no, and, you know, you sing, you have to sing what's on the page. And, and I was really um, wedded to all the indications that were on the page, the, mm -hmm. the dynamics, the, the pronunciation, the language, the, the notes, the phrasing, where I would breathe, you know, was, was, was dictated. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that people can't have an individualistic approach to how they do it. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't have these, um, these masters of classical music who really bring something unique and different to it that really makes it right. come alive. Right. So there is a sense of individualism that comes to it. But I think that the framework is much more, um, much more uh, dictated. It's I much see. more, it's something that, that must be followed. So as jazz gets formed up again, I'm referencing someone named Georgia here, folks who are listening. That's my kid who, 
who studied under Latanya. And so I you, have to say, she is a phenomenal. That girl <laughs> is a she's a a wonderful singer, wonderful interpreter. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm going to get in trouble because my wife is like, don't do that, don't bring it up. It's too late. Forgive me, guys. So check it out, Latanya. She we were watching a documentary together. It was the birth of jazz, I think, on PBS. It was it was fantastic. I wish I could remember the exact name. Was it Ken Burns? The Ken Burns? It was the Ken Burns. It was the Ken Burns documentary. Yeah. And it, you know, I I think Ken Burns was trying to say something about the foundations. And it was definitely a conversation about black and white. But I was surprised by the degree to which whatever European music is, and you can set me straight on this, how it played a role. And and then was sort of how it played a role in stealing away a lot of the creativity from early black musicians. Maybe you can speak to that. Well, um, a, a, appropriation is something that's been around for a very long time. <laughs> yes, it has. Um, but uh, I want to make um, no mistake about what I'm going to say. Jazz is an Af is wholly an African-American art form. Yeah. It was created by african-american musicians mm. period and it doesn't it's that's not to say that um uh there there have been you know wonderful um western west wonderful european um makers of jazz and and creators of jazz and there continues to be and i believe that music is a universal and people should be allowed to 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 play the music that speaks to their soul and speaks to their spirit but we also um, we have to give credit where credit is due, and and it is an African American art form. Yeah, yeah. and the music has been um, taken and claimed um, in some cases, uh, I believe, unf unfairly. Mm -hmm. um, even when you look at like rock and roll, and you know they they, they put Elvis as the, the the king of rock and roll. And they talk about um, the Beatles, you know, started a revol musical revolution, but they were studying, you know, um, Big Mama Thornton. Yeah. And uh, who, and Sister Rosetta Tharp, you know, who, when you look back at old videotape of Sister Rosetta Tharp playing the guitar, the lick she's playing, the way she was moving across the stage, you're seeing Elvis. Yeah. Right. When you listen to Big Mama Thornton sing Hound Dog and then you hear Elvis sing Hound Dog, you understand where he got a lot of that music from. Right. But that was something that was never, never, never talked about. Um, uh, we, we have we have to give credit where credit is due. That's yes, right. Is the failure. So what happens? Right. Elvis gets lifted up because he can sell to a white audience. Is the failure in Elvis not demanding that people hear where he got this from? Is the failure in the machine that creates the, the pop artist? It, it's obviously a type of racism. Where is the failure lie for you as, as sort of a jazz knower, a jazz just, historian? I just think it's, a, I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a systemic thing. Yeah. Um, it's a systemic thing. And, and, and I had, you know, in Elvis's defense, he, he did talk about 
what some of his origins were, you know, and mm -hmm. he wasn't afraid to say, yeah, I learned this from black people. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and those folks have also talked about some of who some of their influences were and just being really hearing this music for the first time and getting really excited about how it made them feel and, and how they wanted to sort of recreate this. Um, so we have to give them that, but the machine itself doesn't, didn't talk much about it. No. Right. And certainly never corrected when people were saying, oh, they created this. That was never corrected and it's never been corrected historically. Um, but, you know, it's for me it, and this is something I talk about with my students. You have to know where the music comes from. You have to understand the roots of the music. You have to understand what influenced all of these people. OK, so stretch it out for me. I'll just be the I don't know. I'll be the, the counter, the, the counter. But why? Why can't it just touch my soul? Because one of the things I want to talk about is the soul and how the soul is being affected by me. Why do I got to know? Can I just, can I just, can I just enjoy it in my room? And why do I got to know? I think as a casual listener, you can, right? And, and it, you know, in other words, I don't want every person who's listening to music to have to go to school to figure out, you mm -hmm. know, the roots of the song or where it came from or who did it originally and all that stuff. But if you're going to make music, uh -huh. If you're going to if you're going to create music, and especially if you're going to create music out of music that's already been written and already been done, then learn where it comes from. And that, to me, has nothing to do with race. It's just to, has to do with paying respect to the art. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen again, that griot guy, the the griots that would come to the village in Southwest Mali. I'm telling you, they would start the morning. So they would start, it was like a party. It's hard to explain. But the party would start with him saying, and from Shaka, I received from Jomagan. And then he received from, and they spent the first, it felt like the whole day almost, telling them about who had come before. And it was fascinating. And that that you can also find in all types of traditions pre pre enlightenment which was it was it was incumbent upon the the narrator to explain from where he was getting this information and it was a way to say he's in alignment he's in orthros he's straight he's speaking straight about who, who, who about music or whatever it is he's talking about usually history yeah and so i guess as the maker of the music it's incumbent upon you but not everybody sees it that way or what happens is do we is it some sort of inherent racism? What happens to us? I don't. I don't think it's. Not, I, I mean, I'm. I'm not going to call it inherent racism. I'm just going to call it sometimes laziness. Yeah. You know, we we, we and it, and it's and I don't think I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a malicious thing or a narcissistic thing. Always, it's just we hear a tune, we like it, we want to learn it, we want to learn how to sing it. It's something that moves us, right? But then we don't take the time. One, to understand what the composer intended by actually looking at a piece of music, right? Mm -hmm. And two, um, understanding where the, the song came from. I was like that when I was young. Sure. I mean, in my 20s, if I liked a tune, I just learned to do and I sang it. But then I, what I realized in my later years, and especially when I started teaching, is that the more you understand the roots of the song, it changes how you interpret yeah. it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It changes how you feel it, how you hear it, how you see it. And so as creators, we owe that. I, I talk a lot about being in service of the art and not in service of the ego, mm. right? And, and what I find, in, especially in the music business, is a lot that's in service of the ego. Yeah. 
And um, this is probably going to start touching on some of the things that you wanted to talk about with the soul. Yeah. Right. But um, in order for us to, to be good musicians, you, you have to, to be a great musician, you have to be vulnerable. Right. And vulnerability is the suspension of ego, right? It's really allowing um, someone to come into your world and bearing your soul. And Listen, that to me is great music. Uh, I have to explain something that's happening to me as you're speaking. Uh, I think the actual act of living a beautiful life is what you just described because you can put this into a teacher student relationship. I mean, our guys overseas, one of the things we're trying to do is we're not in service to our idea of what a good project is. The aid world jumps in on a impoverished community by offering them something that they already have, meaning that the aid world already has acquired, which is some sort of wealth or technology or something. And they jump in in order to help that they may be made in their image. It's very interesting. Now, this hasn't always happened. Don't get me wrong. And the end job is to get that that Mozambican or West African to understand what's being given. Right? And you, you said something really interesting. So the soul in that case, the, the soul of the individual who's receiving, it's a fascinating thing. That soul is not being attended to. What's being attended to is my ego and the delivery of my project so that you might become better. There's no introspection to that. But by whose definition of better? That's, exactly. That's, that's the interesting, that's the interesting question. Yeah, that's what that's the problem, right? And so it feels like you described a musician's life that is actually the life of someone, uh, the life well led. Perhaps you're describing how we should live to not only make good music, but also to make a good life. But it's hard. Aren't we taught to value what we think? You know what I mean? Aren't we taught to value, you know, what's right about the way I think? Sorry, we're getting philosophical, but why not? Well, I'm, well, here's, here's the thing in, in particular about American culture, which I find um, quite fascinating and I think is a big part of why we have such a divide in this country right now. We are a land of absolutes. Mm -hmm. So in order for me to be right, you have to be wrong. Yeah. Right. There's no, there's no shades of gray. So what I think has to be the right way to think, and you may think a different ways that ergo your way is wrong. Right. So there's no, there's no actually sharing of thoughts and ideas and sharing of different ways of seeing things. I don't have to agree with you a hundred percent, but I do have to respect that you think differently than I do. And there's a part of me that really loves, I mean, we're supposed to be rooted in that in the philosophy of this country, but it's, it doesn't qu quite operate that way. There's definitely a disintegration in the, I would, uh, I mean, I've got questions for you here, sister, but I, I, I would attribute it to a breakdown in the notion that there's a soul. If I start to look at you as a machine, now we, we can get into the definition of what a soul is. We can talk about God or whatever. But if I start to see you as a machine or as a series of atoms to manipulate in order to get what I need, boy, what a nightmare that is. But if I see you as sharing literally something ephemeral, something eternal with me, I... I Aren't I, don't I have to stop for a second? 
I think I have to stop for a second. Otherwise, I kind of put myself in danger. You see what happens? It's very interesting. So the soul, so let's do this in music. So let's say we all have one of these things called the soul. <laughs> music is probably the only thing I think right now in our crazy country that's so divided that I think everybody at a dinner table would say, yeah, music touches the soul. So what's it doing? Why does it do that? And why can everyone agree on that? What, what is it? What's going on from what you can tell? And who knows, right? But what do you think? Well, I think I think it goes back to something I talked about, like right when we started talking with each other about um, the voice and, and, and music. The, the voice, especially, is the original instrument. So, b- instrument. So, before instruments were created, music making was done with the body. It was done with the voice, and it was done with sound. But it, it the the vibrations and the resonance of music it changes it changes our insides it changes our our frequencies in our body it changes okay. the wavelengths in the brain when we hear music that resonates with us wow, wow, it okay. changes us physically and so there's a great power to music and um i i think some Sometimes it's, it's, it's completely indescribable. How many times I've always said to my students, when you're performing and when you're singing to an audience, they may not be, your audience may not be musically sophisticated. In other words, they can't tell you what key it's in or what the notes are. They don't know anything about the mechanics of playing an instrument, but they know when they feel something. Mm -hmm. And that's the soul. Mm -hmm. That's the soul responding to these vibrations and responding to the, um, the honesty of what's being communicated. And that's, that's super powerful. Do you think some music is more soulful than others in that sense? Can, can do. Well, I mean, listen, the, the, I have, there, there's no way that I will know how anyone will respond to how a piece of music is played. So I, I, again, this again goes back to something else you talked the individualism, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, different music will affect people differently. And um, we have to be open to that. You know, that's why people like different people. Some people like country, some people like classical, some people like hip hop, you know, it, it's all depends on what resonates with you, but there's great power in, in music and there's great power in how it can affect people, how it can galvanize people. When you look at protest songs, right. Which really have the power to bring, you know, thousands, sometimes millions of people together in a unified fashion. When you look at um, even f- funeral music, right? Something that can really um, set the tone and set the yeah, music true. when you're when you're celebrating rites and rituals. Music is a part of everything we do in our life. It's a part of weddings, funerals, um, you know, uh, p- parties, births. De- it's 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 everything. It's it's part of everything in this life. Do Do you think people who societies that that drive music out? Now, don't hear that as actively. I don't know many people that say, I want to drive music out of society. But where where we become bereft of music, do you think the society can actually get closer to degradation and degeneration? Do you think that happens? Yeah, I do. I do. I believe that music is a universal. Yeah, it's like a metaphysical reality, right? It's beyond our mind, yeah. And it's a healer. It really, it has great power. 
So in some ways, is it crazy to think a one way to heal a nation or to heal a people's is through music therapy, but we don't do that. It feels like we do the opposite. It feels like we get rid of music whenever we're having a collapse in a, in a community. We tend to cut that budget first. What's that about? Yeah, but I mean, the, but the arts goes on. No, you guys keep going on. You will not. I love it. You will not die. <laughs> it, it breaks my heart that they cut it from, you know, it, it breaks my heart that they cut. It's been music programs are being cut across the country. That, mm-hmm. that really breaks my heart. But the music doesn't stop. Yeah, it's, you're the, children right. are, the children are still making music. There's nothing more joyous to me than seeing um, a bunch of children playing together and hearing them spontaneously create music. And they just will. You're right. It's almost if it's if it's what we say it is a metaphysical reality. It's not like you're going to get rid of it. In that it will sense. never go away. No. Um, in in in. So I wanted, I worked with Bobby McFerrin for a long time, and we did something called Circle Songs which is, um, it's all improvisatory music. It's created in the moment, never to be recreated again. Um, and you really have to tap into that childlike sense of music making, right? Yeah. So we'd be on stage and he'd point to, you know, me or anybody else in the group and say, sing something. Right. And in that moment, I have to make something up. Will you tell us right now, please, will you, like, how does it work? Are you first of all, you're nervous, or do you feel it? What happens to you in that moment? <laughs> Come on, share it with us. I want to know this. Okay, so here's a very funny story about when yeah. I started singing with Voicestra. So, Voicestra is 12 voices. Okay. Um, and, and as I said, everything is improvisatory. So, when I got asked to go on the road with with Bobby, I was um, actually subbing for Janice Siegel, who is a, uh, one of the original singers of Manhattan Transfer. Mm. And Bobby's manager had said to me, um, don't, don't worry about it. Bobby's not going to call on you to solo. You, you're, you're subbing. You just go in, you get your feet wet and make some music and have some fun. And I was like, great. So first gig we did was in Poland. It was an outdoor festival. It was about 10,000 people. And we're all lined up and Bobby starts a song and he comes section to section, right? And gives us our lines to sing section by section. And first three songs, I'm hearing everything. I'm blending well with my singers. I'm starting to dance. I'm having fun. I'm getting into it with the crowd. About five songs in, he comes and he stands right in front of me and he puts his hand out and signals me to start something. And I was like, what? (laughs) No. And I looked night. at him. And, yeah, my first night, and I literally said no. <laughs> I was, I was, I was started shaking. Like when he came and stood in front of me, it was yeah. just the most nerve wracking thing, right? And he he looked at me again, and he put out his hand, and I and I said I, I can't, right? And I remember he he sort of touched me on my forearm, and he said trust. And he led me out to the front of the stage, and I don't know what I sang. Um, really out in the moment, really? but which is probably the best thing that could have happened because then I wasn't, I wasn't wrestling with the ego, right? I wasn't yeah, wrestling with, great. Oh my God, what if I crack a note? What if I don't, you know, do this? And I just let whatever was going to come through me, come through me. And what's beautiful about Bobby is that he never lets you fail. So even if you just start something very simply, he will begin to build something around it. So you right. always have a soft landing place, but the more the more that I began to, I ended up staying with the group for the next, you know, decade. That night, though, when it was over, 
you did it. How, what, what, what are you thinking to yourself? And he must have been thankful. Like he must have said like, nice, like well done or, or no, or just move about your business after that. That's, that's not Bob, you know, but, um, Bobby was never one to go, Oh, you did great. You know, yeah. it was, it, it kind of was what it was. He's a very spiritual person. He's a, I believe he's an angel that walks on this earth. There's nice. something very, um, very, very special about him and very, very special about how he creates and what he brings into the world. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, I knew, I knew because I kept working. <laughs> yeah. That's him, a good point. Actually, <laughs> that, you know, I must've done something something right but it was like going to school every night and and that's what i was so grateful for yeah i guess music in that sense is is soulful because in that night it pulled something out of you that maybe you weren't you didn't think you had i didn't know i had it yeah i honestly did i was i was so terrified and but it was um it opened a new portal for me uh, and it opened a new portal for me as a as a singer and as an educator. But why do you think some of us don't? Okay, here's a secret. I was going to church down in Florida, the parish where we went. This is all this is all acapella stuff in in the Russian Orthodox tradition. So, and the parish where we went had just nightmarish, nightmarish, like not prayerful. Okay, Latanya, and. Then my four girls, this is where Georgia first started singing, at least in something, um, you know, uh, organized. Uh, I was the choir director. Now, I didn't know how to read music. And then my four girls and I and my wife, who's, they're all good on some level compared to me. I start to direct them. It was a nightmare. I used to, but no, I will say this. It wasn't a nightmare in its beauty. (laughs) It became beautiful. But I'll tell you this, I used to hate Saturday nights because I had to prepare the music and I couldn't and I would practice with them and they were like that's wrong that's wrong I said why don't y'all just do this they wouldn't do it so here's my point to you I don't have that by nature I just I don't know it was why is that why do some of us get it some of us is it do we have a buried soul is there something wrong with my soul Latanya help me Uh, I I I, well no I don't why do some of us have this (laughs) talent why do some of us have it and some of us don't something's wrong with me Save me. Your time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, th- I honestly think that you, you could probably tap into it. You think so? I do. You must have to tell students something like this as you teach, which is like, it's in there, even when it doesn't appear to be right. Yeah. I mean, well, you, let's, let's take Georgie, for example, right? Okay, Georgie, here we go Georgie again. First, I know I'm talking about Do your it. daughter. You did it. I didn't. He's, That's fine. He's pretty extraordinary. Listen, when Georgie first came into my program, she'd never sung jazz. So I, she had, she had actually applied for the classical program at, at Oberlin, and they had turned her down, which is still mind-boggling to me. Um, but when I heard that tone of her voice, I couldn't wait to to work with her. But it, she'd never improvised before; she had never um, done any of that. And within a year and a half, she had taken to it like a duck to water. And it was like it was something that that again, hadn't been tapped into in her soul, but something that we opened a portal, right? Where it, that that sort of expression really um, steered her in a completely different musical direction than what she had anticipated doing. So it's in there. So, and that's what you would argue, right? Is that not all of us are going to achieve musical greatness or anything, but it's in there. But it's in there. 
It's in there. And it can it can be tapped into. Do this, with the me. Right Do this with me. I've got this question that I really want you to just take a little bit and then I don't know. I could keep talking to you for a while. I like this. But this one's just it's a nerdy question. So classical music isn't jazz music. And jazz music isn't R and B. And what's the difference? Why why isn't one thing the other in the musical world? Is there something happening in jazz that you can teach us about that makes it what it is? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's rooted in rhythm and in improvisation. But we, we, so you you gave an interesting. You said you said jazz music isn't classical music, and 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 jazz music isn't R and B. Well, jazz music kind of is R and B, but not classical, so, right? But it's it's it classical music is rooted in it's rooted in harmony. Harmony, so that the harmony makes it fundamentally different and 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 this it's 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 beautiful music it's beautiful music but it's it's just different approaches so so you would say jazz and r&b they're not the same thing though right they're not the same thing but they come from the same mother what does r&b do does it turn something down while jazz is turning something up i mean what's the how do we know the difference well, the, the, the jazz or R and B tends to be again groove based. So, in a groove, um, can be uh, quite repetitive. But again, it's coming, it's coming it's coming from the same the same mother. So let's let's talk a little bit about the evolution of of okay. uh, Black American music. Yeah, right. do this. When we talk about um, Work songs, right? Which, uh, sir, um, which were rooted in slavery. So when slaves were brought over and they came from all of these different countries, they were stripped of their language, stripped of their culture, stripped of, um, their identity, stripped of their freedom, right? And stripped of their name. But the one thing that they could not take away from them and the one place where they could fully express themselves was through music. Yeah. Right. That was the one. So, when they were working in the fields, they started to sing um, um, field hollers, right? Which were tunes that would uh, help them pass the time, but it was also a way of communicating. And it was a way that they could communicate um, without the, the massa, without the, the, you know, the, the, the slave owners knowing what they're communicating about. And then that evolved into work songs. And then that evolved into hymns and spirituals. And then that evolved into gospel music, into ragtime and blues, into jazz, into rock and roll, into R&B, into hip hop, into neo soul. So there's a lineage. I and mean, that's why I say when it all comes from the same mothers, mother, it's because it, it was all evolving out of the same thing. Right. So it each is a, it's just a, a, a different offshoot in that family tree. Yeah. In that way, the origins are very old world because those Africans that came in the 16th, 17th, 1800s, that's old world. That's, that's not in enlightenment stuff. Don't hear enlightenment when on this show, enlightenment isn't like being smart or something. It's just a time period in history because I think a lot of people have get confused about how the history works. The Enlightenment was an actual, in my humble opinion, it was a very arrogant move on a lot of the European philosophers to start calling themselves right about stuff. I mean, if you want to <laughs> boil it all down. But, but the Africans coming from Mozambique, for example, were not bringing that 
that philosophy. I see. And so then it's really in it's really in it's really in the antebellum period out of the field that comes that that rhythm that that rhythmic narrative that you keep talking about. But again, it's not so it's not Scottish, you know, banjo music, but the banjo becomes a part of jazz. Is that right? Does that sound right to you? Yeah, but the banjo is an African instrument. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'm trying to think of something that's exclusively European. I'm, I don't, I don't know my music history very well. I guess it would be maybe like an organ that was definitely invented in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to think. You're right. Almost, almost all American music in that sense has that that jazz rhythm feel. Is there something outside of jazz? Help me out here. What is it that's <laughs> not jazz? <laughs> You're going to claim it all. I like that. <laughs> but but uh, we're but we're not we're not claiming it all. You know the the only the only thing that you know when we talk a, a lot about this, and, and I talk about the differences between the music, not to um, claim superiority of one over the sure, other. Sure, sure, But sure. you know what what I think we're asking about black American music. And this is, this is what is most interesting for me is how it's in some ways it's seen as less than right. Or it's exoticized. And um, that's what I just can't abide because um, this music is, is extremely um, complicated in, in some senses. It's not this, um, they almost infantilize it a little bit, you know. Oh, this, you know, this this African music is so simplistic in its origins, you know. And with the, you hear an ethnomusicologist talk about it in certain ways, and it just like that's not true. Explodes. And it's not; it's absolutely not true. And it's no. and it's um, and so when when I talk about these differences, it's not to place one above the other. We're asking for a seat at the table yeah. in terms of recognizing the. Um, the beauty, the artistry, uh, and the merits of this music. Yeah. Can you just do one thing for me? Will you just tell me what reggae is to you? Because I happen to be the massive most... <laughs> right now my family's... Oh, my gosh. Oh, there's a tornado warning. Oh, that no. interesting. Yeah, how about that? So are we safe here, Andrew? Leave the tornado warning in, right? Maybe it has something to do with this podcast. I don't know. Let's see. Hopefully, I won't tear up the end of the podcast with it my quiz. You saved me from flunking this quiz. <laughs> That's what it is. So Tanya will not take this quiz. <laughs> no, you got to take it. It's fun, I promise. But before I do, my whole family and just everybody knows me, I, I can't get free of really the, the roots reggae. The, the whole culture is very interesting to me. I listen to it almost exclusively. Is that out of the, that's definitely out of that, that jazz sort of origins, right? It's out of the, it's, it's definitely, it's origins are in Africa for sure. It's the African origins. Yeah. But, but I mean, I, I, I am, I, I love reggae music, but honestly, I, I, I could not speak with any specificity. Okay. On fair enough. Reggae. Fair enough. Yeah. It's not outside by any means. Well, it's definitely, yeah, African. Yeah. I got something happened to me. I got colonized by uh, those cats. <laughs> I love it. I'm happy to be too. Okay. So here's the quiz. And it's kind of fun because my girls took it too uh, on this show. So it's called the Lido meter. And so what it's trying to do, I figured about 10 episodes in is people are like, what do you mean old world, new world? So it's, 
it's five questions meant to sort of figure out, okay, are you more old world or are you more new world? Okay. And so they're goofy questions, but I they work, Latanya. I really find that people are like, yeah, that's pretty accurate. So you ready? We're going to take it. By the way, this is, we joke, this is a scientific, this is true in the truest materialistic sense. So here's your number. Three plus one is four plus two is six plus one is seven plus two is nine. Would you like to know what this qualifies yes, you as? I okay. can't wait to hear. <laughs> you are the suburbanite. You feel romantic about the old world, but hierarchy is a word that you'd rather read about in a book it feels like you should want to obey your elders a lot more than you actually do. And the individual is not more important than the group, except, well, sometimes you feel more important than lots of dumb groups that you get associated with. So that's the suburban. How does that feel? That kind of feels um, almost spot on, like very, very close. I think most I of like this quiz. <laughs> yes. I love that you love it because I always get nervous. We give it to most of the guests and um, <laughs> people leave saying, well, I never thought about that. Uh, I'm also a suburban. I'm a high suburbanite. So you scored nine. I think I scored a t I think I scored a nine too. I have to take it again. So, you know, I, every time I travel, I come home because I'm in some wacky places and then I come home and I'm so thankful that I'm an American. And then I also think, how crazy it is here. And if I go to Walmart one more time, I'm just going to go crazy. <laughs> it's not my favorite place. And so I'm torn. And I think that's what that is. So, all right, you're lovely. Um, you know, I don't want to get all cheesy, but uh, <laughs> you're a pretty important person in our lives uh, at the, in this family. And on this pod, you've done a really good job of helping people to hear about music and this concept as we, as we wrestle with, Whatever world we're in right now, it's it's nice to hear people talk about some beautiful things like music. So, um, well, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a been a joyous hour. Enjoy talking with you. And you gave a lot of joy. I thank you. I mean it. Look at you. You just your face is just filled with joy. So, if you can't see her, guys, and you're listening on the pod, if you're listening on the audio, then go over to the YouTube channel. So, thank you, sister. I'll uh, I'll be in touch. And you'll be hearing from my kid as she tries to navigate Juilliard and figure out. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna see your kid next week when I'm in New York. <laughs> oh, is it just next week? That's right. All right, take care of her. We we whatever it needs, she'll be fine. But all right, thank you. Thank I'll you, see John. you. All right, take God care. bless. Take care. Bye. Well, that was Latanya. By the way, you can find Latanya at www.latanyahall.com. You can find it in our pod notes. You can get her music and you can learn about her most brilliant career. Shenny's Gagi Marjos, that means to you the victory that's often set at the KP table in Georgia. We have a KP journey going on right now, even as I record this. We have five people on their way to go visit that fine country, even through the COVID curtain. Yep, that's our pod for today. That was Latanya Hall. Thank you, Latanya. You are a great guest and we're we're a great guest are a great person Watar is produced by Andrew Schwark and Daniel Paternos our pod is brought to you by the creators of First Things Foundation yes that's us we send people into the field some of the world's most isolated and forgotten neighborhoods where we immerse 
to create momentum for local changemakers, folks we call impresarios. We work on behalf of their idea. We don't import a project. We listen and we create dynamic relationships that change lives. Share the Watar. Share the Watar. That's this podcast with friends. Hit us up with solid reviews on iTunes and everywhere you get your podcasts. Remember also, we're looking for field workers right now for West Africa. Your love for us allows us to love others. Narkvam dis au revoir. Hasta luego. Kambufo. Nawe. These are just some of the languages you can learn when you join First Things. And by the way, peace out.